Can I hear another amen? amen? That was great. God Almighty. Good morning, folks. My name is uh, Roger Beltran. And yes, Milton is my cousin. His dad is my dad's brother, younger brother. And I came down to this part of the world because my second daughter, Natalie, just graduated from Loma Linda University. And it was time to come back down to San Diego, see home, uh, family, and friends. And let me tell you, I'm surprised. I already know that this world of ours is too small, and the Adventist church is way smaller. Because at one time, I used to be a youth pastor, and one of the young people that I pastor is right there, George Romero. Hey, hello, George. And then... Dr. Hill this morning, I knew him from way back when also, and I ran into all kinds of people. My brother's here. I guess La Mesa had no worship, no music <laughs> director this morning. And uh, I'd like you folks to, to meet my wife, Gigi, and my three girls, Tatiana, Natalie, and Camila. Are they in? Can you girls please stand? These, these girls are my pride and my joy, amen? And it just so happens that today is also my wife and I, 27th anniversary. Uh, if one of the deacons could change this stand for me, it's kind of sick, it's about to die. I'd appreciate that, thank you. Yes, uh, graduated from San Diego Academy. Anybody here from class of 74? Se- oh, Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, what do you take? <laughs> My brother Edwin went to lousy area. No, no, La Sierra College. That's how we called it back then, okay? And I went to PUC. Anybody here from PUC? Class of 81 myself. All right. The Lord has blessed us. Earlier, I was sharing with the people, just so that you get to know us just a little bit more, the Beltran clan is a large clan. Uh, there's several preachers in the family. For some strange reason, myself, Milton, his dad was a pastor. We have an uncle presently in Brazil still pastoring. And then, my grandfather on my mother's side was a priest, a Catholic priest. Can you believe that? He got kicked out of the order when they caught him with a second child. So it kind of runs in the family. It's in the blood. <laughs> Not that part, okay? <laughs> it's about the priesthood. That's what I mean. <laughs> I got you. I started as an engineering major at PUC. But numbers and I just didn't see eye to eye. So at the suggestion of one of the teachers, I changed majors. I changed to theology. It was a long struggle to try to catch my bearings, to see where the Lord needed me the most. And uh, engineering wasn't it. It was in the ministry. And let me tell you, it has been a joyful It has always had its challenges, but it has been a joyful journey. The Lord has blessed us immensely. We spent 18 years for Southern Cal, the L.A. area, five years in beautiful Hawaii, 
and now nine years in uh, Oregon. So we've been breathing pure, clean air for a while. <laughs> but we're here, and uh, I'd like to share with you a message that is dear to my heart. It's found in the second book of Samuel, chapter 13. It's a subject that is quite sensitive, and yet I believe it's uh, always fitting because man never stops learning. Amen? Amen? Whether you're old already or you're a young adult, a young parent, I see a lot of young couples here raising children. What an amazing sight to have so many kids come up here. Beautiful, beautiful. And by the way, thanks to that uh, praise team, I wish I could have one of those at, back in my church. Uh, and uh, the, this subject is sensitive, as I was saying, because no one escapes it, actually. In some way, shape, or form, we all come in contact with dysfunctional families. Does it ring a bell? Dysfunctional families. How many families suffer from this malady? My goodness. I've been in the ministry a while now, and I've gotten to counsel many families about this or hear cases about this. The truth is that this malady knows no race, culture, or religion. It's spread out all over. It has penetrated every layer of society and so on and so forth. And in this second book of Samuel, we're given an example of a prominent family, a regal family, a family that had all the tools at its disposal to have a quote-unquote perfect home. But unfortunately, it too was dysfunctional, very dysfunctional, imperfect, disunited, full of intrigue, pride, and murder. This story is the, king, the story of King David. You recall that story? King David. He, spent, he, uh, he was king over Israel for 40 years. Bible says seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. He had many wives, kids with these wives. And one thing I've noticed, that those who have practiced polygamy, either in the past or even today, somehow there is always lots of problems. Example, you know, Abram, my goodness, did he have problems? Poor Sarah and Hagar. We're living the results of that problem even today. Jews and Arabs. They're cousins. I don't know if you knew that. They're cousins. Uh, Isaac, Jacob, David, and so on and so forth. But the story is about Amnon, one of the older brothers. The story says that he falls in love with whom? With his half-sister Tamar. He was so sick in love with her that he kind of went nuts. He went a little crazy. So he confided with one of his aides, because being a king's son, you know, he had to dispose of all kinds of facilities. And so this friend of his suggests, you know what? All you have to do is fake that you're sick and then ask your father, King David, to send your sister Tamar to bring you food to your bed. And once you have her inside of your room, well, then you know what to do. And he does exactly what he has, it, what it had been suggested. When Tamar gets to his room and she prepares the meal for his sick brother, he takes advantage of her. The Bible says that he raped her. Now, 
I've been a pastor a while, as I tell you. I've seen cases where there are some situations where it is terribly sad. The emotional, the psychological, even the physiological damage sometimes. This young girl, Tamar, was raped by her half-brother. And even though she pleaded with him, she even reminded him, brother, don't do this evil thing because it is forbidden in the law. And of course, Amnon knew about the law, but he could care less. So he went ahead and raped his sister. And the story says that after he was done with her, he chased her out, kicked her out. He ordered his, one of his uh, servants, get this woman out of here. And Tamar left the room crying. I can just imagine probably just at the top of her lungs, weeping and tearing her, her, her beautiful royal dress. And as she's walking out, she's running out, she runs into whom? Another brother, her brother, Absalom. You've heard of Absalom? Tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> Absalom looks at his sister and says, What happened? It was obvious something tragic had just happened. So Tamar tells him. She tells him in detail everything that has happened and how she had tried to reason with her brother Amnon. Absalom is looking at his sister and she sees her distress and he is able to empathize with her and he is, he is cut to deep. He says, how could he have done this? Sister, don't worry. Go to my house. I'll look after you. Let me take care of this for you. I'll go talk to dad. Surely he will know what to do. So the Bible says that he goes over to the father, to dad. Dad, this and this and this and this happened. Hmm. Solomon is, Absalom was thinking that dad will surely bring about justice right away. Because what has just happened is no small fry. But the text says here in chapter 13 that after hearing what Absalom had to say, King David simply remains quiet. He gets upset. In some versions you'll see that it says, it says he gets furious. But that's all. It goes no further. And Absalom is shocked. You mean that's all you're going to do that? You're just going to get upset? That's all? But that's all he does. And then the, script, uh, the story says that uh, for two years, Absalom waits on his dad. Surely he will do something. Six months later, he says, okay, dad, you've had a long time to think things through now. Surely you know what to do. A year after, come on, dad, come on. And a year and a half after, two years go by and nothing, nothing has happened. All he did was just get very, very upset. Absalom is very much anxious for his father to take disciplinary action against his brother Amnon. He knows his father very well. He knows that his father is a military man, a just man, a righteous man, a decisive man, and he waits on him. You know, folks, I learned a lot about the military life when we lived in Hawaii. We lived in Oahu, windward side, Kaneohe. I don't know if some of you visited that area. And in Kaneohe Bay, right across the Marine Base, 
So I got to hear all of these guys every day. We got to watch them, and he, especially when they, do, would, they, do, would do, um, they would do their maneuvers, cheap lips. My church was composed of military people as well. I had the Marines, I had the Army, I had the Air Force, I had the Navy, and it was nice. Nice. One thing I couldn't understand are these Marine guys. The officers never sat with the other guys. <laughs> Every time we had work bee at the church, whereas the rest of the church family wanted to start work bee at 8, 9 a.m., all of these Marines said, no, 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 Pastor. 0600, 0600. By 8 o'clock in the morning, everything was done. I love the Marines. <laughs> David was a military general. He knew how to give the orders. So his son Absalom rightfully is waiting for his dad to take immediate action. But after two years, David is frustrated. I mean, Absalom is frustrated. He doesn't really know what to do. What is holding my dad back? Interesting, folks. What had just happened was a terrible crime. Incest in the family. According to the Levitical law, it needed to be punished very severely. What could be happening? So I'm going to read to you something from the Red Books, Spirit of Prophecy. Okay, if you don't mind. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 728. Listen to this sovereign statement. When parents or rulers neglect the duty of punishing iniquity, God himself will take the case in hand. His restraining power will be, in a measure, removed from the agencies of evil so that a train of circumstances will arise which will punish sin with sin. Sovereign statement, wouldn't you think? There has to be something that can be done and in a timely manner when something as heinous as rape takes place or incest or any type of crime. You know, Absalom loved his dad, respected his dad. And Absalom knew that his father was very intelligent, and yet he didn't really see his father much. He had several brothers, not to mention all of the sisters, perhaps. But there was certainly a lack of parental support. Absalom even figured out a way, how can I get my dad's attention? I'll organize a big party. Perhaps then he can kind of listen. I'll, 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 I'll seek his audience, and maybe he can talk to me. Maybe we could talk man to man about, these, about this issue, because it cannot go unpunished. My poor sister's sitting there all depressed. Because of what had happened. But David really is not involved. And upon a, an invitation from Absalom for this party, the story says that King David simply not, declined the invitation to be participatory of that uh, party. He just simply said, okay, that's, that sounds good. I, I give you my blessing. How involved are you? in your children's lives. Now, I don't mean to give you a guilt trip. I don't think there is a single family that, is, that we can say perfect family. Not this side of heaven, folks. We all have issues of some kind or another, right? Some of you might have come from a terribly, terribly dysfunctional family. 
But I praise my God that you're here. I praise my God that you found in the midst of your confusion, perhaps, or your desperation, you found your way to church to look for, seek for the blessing of God. And so we're here on an even ground. But how involved are you? I, I like to ask the dads, you know, when was the last time you went out to a Chargers game with your son? Oh, I don't like the Chargers. I'm a Cowboy fan. So what? Go out with your boy. It's the Chargers. Let me tell you something. I come from South America. I arrived to San Diego, California, June 10, 1968. Not a word of English. Within three months, we wanted to go back to the home country. We rebelled against my dad. My dad said, no, get it out of your heads. We are never going back to the motherland. So he pulled out a little paper bag, and he had these pocket dictionaries, Spanish-English dictionaries. <laughs> he said, this is for you. Eat it. <laughs> this is where we will live. This is where you'll get educa- your education, get married, perhaps. Says, and if you ever want to go back to the homeland, well, that's, that's your business. After We're all done with you. But in the meantime, we're going to live here. You know what else he did? My father, you know, he, he, his English was not perfect. He, his English was still limited. He became a Chargers fan. <laughs> he didn't even know the rules of the game. And we have been Chargers fan ever since. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> How well do you know your daughter? Hey, do you know her boyfriend's name? Do you know where he comes from? Oh, he wears this hairstyle. (laughs) Wait a minute. I remember my days. Remember the bell bottoms? (laughs) Silly looking things. You could sweep the floors. (laughs) I remember those... Heels, (laughs) Heels, <laughs> the platform shoes, remember those? How many of you remember that? My goodness, how about those bibs we used to wear for ties? <laughs> we were silly too in our days. Have you taken the time to know what she likes, what she doesn't like? What he likes, what he doesn't like, where he goes, where does he hang out with his friends? Let me tell you something, folks. You need to do that if you want to keep your kids closer to you. Now, no home is perfect, I grant, it, I grant that. But we can make an effort. We should make an effort. My dad would chase after my brother and I when we, after we learned the language sufficiently enough to just kind of get out and we discovered the beaches. My goodness, talk about beaches in San Diego. Way back then, it was a whole lot better than today. Sorry. They were cleaner. My old dad, my old man would chase after us. He had this little metro, a little metropolitan car. I don't know how many of you remember the little English car, two-seater. And we'd get out there, and uh, maybe he was reliving his teen years himself. I don't know, but there he was after us. 
I remember those days and I appreciate the time he invested in me, in my brothers, my sisters. Though may not, it may not have been perfect, but at least he attempted to. David did not. David was too busy. He was busy with his military campaigns. He had Donald Rumsfeld. He had, you know, all of these big guys. How are we going to attack? Drop the plans. Push the button. That's what his head was into. He was a diplomat. He was traveling to and fro. What about the kids? Who raised them? Well, it was easy. Let them play video games. TV will babysit them. And that's why he got into the trouble he did. He did not know how to spend time with his kids. Absalom decided to bring justice by himself by planning a, a plan. He schemed it up to kill that brother. If my dad's not going to bring justice, and then I'm going to do it. I'm going to take it in my hands to do it. So he organizes this big party, invites everybody. Since dad's not coming, he's not interested. Well, then my brothers will come because I'll make sure that it's a big one. And he had instructed one of his servants, his bodyguards, as soon as Amnon is a little bit drunk, I want to get him tipsy a little bit because the guy is big. Hit him. After the deed is done and the other brothers and sisters find out about it, they take off in horror, running away. <sighs> the news reaches dad who's back in the palace. When David hears about the news, he hears that there goes Absalom. He killed everyone. Things haven't changed much, right? Today, things get distorted along the gossip line just as much. Well, then somebody else has to come in and clear up the picture for David. No, 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 no. It's not everybody. It's just Amnon. And David, of course, is the father. He's distressed. My son, Amnon, dead? How so? Duh. Joah, Jonadab, who really was his cousin, sits down with King David and tells him in detail, this is how it happened, and this is why it happened. And the why was because Amnon had what? Raped his sister. Now you would think that we finally got his attention. Now he's going to do something because this thing really gets complicated from this point on. There is rape, and there is what? Murder. And Absalom is looking around. Okay, okay. I got his attention now. Now he's going to do something because now I am behind the plot to kill this brother of mine, and I did it. Now I know that I deserve big-time punish punishment. See, you'll notice my accent goes whack every now and then. <laughs> but what does David do when he learns of all the details Absa, I mean, King David just does not seem to manage to get up and say something, do something. He just gets upset. He just simply throws a fit, and he probably paces around in his office. He's wondering, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Who should I text to do something? Nothing happens. Well, there was a reason why nothing happened. And I'd like to share it with you. Page 729, Patriarchs and Prophets. 
You remember David also had his Bathsheba gate case? Remember that? Well, that never left his head. She says, with the memory ever before him of his own transgressions of the law of God, David seemed morally paralyzed. He was weak and irresolute. When before his sin, he had, when before his sin, he had been courageous and decided. His influence with the people had been weakened. What weakened him, folks? Tell me. The memory of his sin, Bathsheba Gate, it had morally paralyzed him. He wanted to, but he couldn't. Why? Because he felt what, folks? Unworthy. I used to pastor a big church in L.A. Remember the old Jim Jones Temple? Well, that's where we spent some years. There was this elder, a wealthy elder, who drove a brand new, the latest Mercedes-Benz, black. And since he was the wealthiest member of the church, I mean, they, he even had his assigned parking space. <laughs> Poor pastor, they left us on the side. There was this one kid who was a rascal through and through. I'm talking about 1,200-member church folks. 120 deacons. They knew this kid, and they knew he was trouble, and every time he was around, it was like, man, oh. And this kid one day pulled out his keys, and he walked next to the Mercedes-Benz, a Wednesday night prayer meeting, and he, he scratched the full length of the Mercedes-Benz. He thought he could get away with it. One of the other deacons saw him. The news got back to the owner, and the owner, who was an elder of the church, came out. Who did it? His dad was the head deacon. How do you handle that? It was tense, to say the least. We had to have a special meeting in, in, in the office. And when we touched this subject, this father just simply sat and he wept. And he kept saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. What is it that you can't? Finally, he said, you have to realize, you have to know something, he said. By the time I was his age, and the kid was only 14, by the time I was his age, I already had two kids. He had fathered two kids. He says, I can't do it because I feel so guilty. I have done worse things than my son. This is nothing to compare to the stuff that I've done. So I can't. Morally paralyzed. That's what David was going through. Bathsheba Gate was ever in his mind. And so Absalom he flees Jerusalem to another town called Jeshur. 
and he's waiting there for his dad to do something. And he waits there, folks. Guess for how long? Three years. What's dad doing in the meantime back home in the royal palace? Dad's weeping for his son. Oh, I miss. I miss you, Absalom. I miss you. I wish you could be with me. And that's all he does. I wish, I wish, I wish. And for three years, Absalom is out there waiting. Okay, dad, you're going to come after me now. Any day, you're going to have to come after me, and I'll gladly turn myself into you. Nothing. So now it's really five years that he has been waiting on his dad. You're keeping the count? Finally, one of uh, David's counselors, Joab, his right-hand man comes to the king and says, you know what, king? There's an elephant in the room and you're not seeing it. And I don't think you're blind. And this elephant has a name, but you're not seeing it. You have to know that of all the sons you have, Absalom is the best candidate to succeed you. You're not going to live forever, king. And most likely, Absalom is going to have to take over. So you have to be able to see this thing, king. That boy is in exile, three years out there. You haven't seen him. You haven't talked to him. You don't want to talk to him. You know the crimes that had happened in your family, but you're not willing to do anything. Now the least you could do is bring the boy back here and fix this thing now. The king knew that Joab was right. So he gives in. He says, okay, okay, bring the boy home. When Absalom comes back to Jerusalem, Father David just simply says, but uh, don't let him live in the palace. Just send him back to his old house. I don't want to see his face. What? Absalom had certain qualities everyone admired. He had leadership skills. He was a a natural-born diplomat. He was intelligent. He knew how to make decisions. This boy needed to be back in the palace. They needed to fix this matter. But when he finally comes back, Father David simply says, but he's got to go back to his house because I don't want to see his face yet. Talk about cold treatment. How many times has, has this, this story repeats itself over and over and over in our own homes? And even in Seventh-day Adventist homes where we sit around the table with our kids, folks, and we just pour the, open up the Cheerios box or the cornflakes, whatever, you know, with the newspaper on the other side or you flip on the, the tube there and you're, good morning, son. Mm, good morning. Mm. After you're done, bye. See you tonight. No communication. Very little is exchanged. What are your plans, son? Daughter, where are you going to go? What do you dream with? What do you wish could happen? Tell me. I want to know. But unfortunately, we just let things slip through the cracks. There are other more important things, it seems. We have to pay those bills. We have to buy that house. I've been looking at that house, man. It's, it's only a million and a quarter. I've got to 
I have that latest Beamer. Man, I am just dreaming with that Beamer. Or some would say, I've got to have the Testarossa. You know what I'm talking about? We just saw the other day one in, in, in Hollywood there. There's only eight of them made, and one of them sits there. We are so preoccupied with what's happening or the stuff that we have created for ourselves that we have no time, really, literally, no time for our own kids. And they are watching us, and they can tell, my dad could give a hoot about me. Our daughters are watching us. I got to confess to you folks. I've got three daughters. Four with my wife. Four women. I've been outvoted. Oh, the years. (laughs) But one of the brothers here gave me a nice comeback line. Yes, yes, yes. I am outvoted, but I've got veto power. I've got the veto power. That's good. I'll use that, brother. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Call it stubbornness, stupidity, whatever it is, but I don't like shopping. <laughs> Anybody in the house that doesn't like shopping? <laughs> okay, amen. <laughs> My daughters and my wife love shopping. I don't know what it is. That that saying is true. You know, shop till you drop. That's literal. And they would love, love it if I could go with them and enjoy. Oh, look at this little thing. Look at the color. Look at the thread pattern. Look at this. Look at that. that, That's just foreign. It's Chinese for me. I, I, I just don't like it. I drag my feet, and, and I even told him this story that, you know, I'm, I'm, I go all kinds of, I, I go crazy at the mall, I told him one time. <laughs> but I know better. I should be able to spend more time, because we had a talk one day, and they said, you know, Dad, at least make the effort. It makes us feel that you care. And I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying. David had no time for his kids. And I suppose in some of your homes, something like that must have happened as well. But you managed to grow. You managed to mature. You managed to move on. And perhaps you will hold some resentment, you know, against your mom or your dad for not having done this or said that. And let it go. Let it go. It does you no good. All it does is you keep putting weight and more weight as the years go by. Pretty soon you're going to walk like a hunchback. All this needless, hopeless weight. Give it up to the Lord. My God says, come unto me. Come, let us reason together. If your sins are red as scarlet, I will make them what? White as snow. So this come and let us reason together means sit down with me. Let's talk it through. Let's negotiate. Let's agree on a working plan. But don't keep 
silent. David had Absalom in, locked up in his house for two years. So now it's seven. Absalom has been in captivity for seven years. Silent treatment. He is so fed up, so desperate, so frustrated that he tells Joab that he would rather die. Why did he have me come over here? I would rather die. You know, I never really knew what cutters were. Maybe it existed in our generation, for those of you who are in their 50s. But that seems to be quite popular nowadays, you know? Could that be a way of trying to get my attention? Dad, I'm hurting myself because I need you. I need to talk to you. Or the boys experimenting with anything. Absalom was frustrated beyond frustration now, and he is ready to do something more drastic, more awful. What does he do? He schemes up a plan. It's called conspiracy. This man is not going to do it. I'll show him how. I'll show him how it should be done. And so Absalom makes it a point. He purposely goes to the gate, the outer gate of, the, of, of the Jerusalem, and he stands by there. Everybody that comes in and out, now he's got this contact. He begins to talk to them, and he begins to tell them things like, if I were king, if I were the one, I would tell you, I would fix it for you this way. If I, if I, if I, and the Bible says that little by little, he stole the people's hearts to the point where they were beginning to look at him and say, wow, yeah, you know, David is an old man by now. He needs to step down. He needs to let a younger man come in and take over. And Absalom, he, he begins this conspiracy against his own father, and he has planned it all out thoroughly. For four years, he's planning this rebellion. Seven plus four? Eleven years total. Incommunicado with his own father. In Absalom's mind, there is no point, no returning now. He's got to go through. He plans this rebellion. He, uh, he, the rebellion explodes. And what does dad do? What would you do? When David finds out that it's his very own son who's coming at him with military might, his dad simply hightails it out of there. I'm out of here. His own army. Hey, David. King, wait a minute. What are you doing? And David doesn't really know what he's doing. He just simply runs out of Jerusalem. He runs away because he knows that his son is so furious. He might just do something stupid. And so he runs away. And everybody's not confused. What's going to happen? What are you doing? It is sad. It is sad. When he's finally out there and he thinks things through, he says, okay, if that's what he wants, that's what he'll get. If my son is going to go against me, he's going to come against me, then I'll have to meet him. So now the armies are all set. Joab and his armies, that's King David's right-hand man, his, his general. 
He's ready to go because he has seen the disrespect. He has seen the disloyalty. He has seen all these awful things coming from Absalom's mouth. And now he says, you know, that young man, he's, somebody's got to teach him a lesson. Since you didn't do it on time, now I guess perhaps I got to do it. And so as he is about to go out to war, King David has one last, last request. Guess what that is? He tells them as they're going out to battle, please, please, treat the boy with kindness. Don't hurt him. He's my son. Please, be careful. Don't kill him. Not for his sake. For my sake, be kind to this young man. And these generals are looking at at King David and say, wow, this guy, this old man's gone crazy. He's about to lose his kingdom. And look, look what he's saying. So they go out to war, and the war is heated. But suddenly, because Absalom was so tall and he had long hair, remember the story? Beautiful long hair, the weight of I don't know, I don't remember how many shekels, and he was handsome and he was trying to run away on top. He was sitting on this mule, he was trying to run away, but his hair got caught in this branch of this low tree and now he's hanging. Somebody spots him and they bring back the news. We've seen him, we've seen him. He's hanging from a tree. What do we do? What do we do? Kill Kill him, kill him. But the soldiers had heard the request of dad. They said, no, 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 don't you know what King David said? We are not to touch him. Not me, not me. It was like sending, it was like sending, you know, these, uh, these special units that the army has. Finally, Joab sends those guys. Get that. I won't use the, no, the name. They go. They shoot three arrows in his heart. Dead. The other guys come and they even hack him because they were so disgusted with this man. The news gets back to Joab. Now Joab has to send the news back to, 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 to Jerusalem where dad was. One of the men says, I'll go, I'll go. I'll go. I'm a fast runner. No, 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 you're too young for this kind of news. This is a terrible job to do. I'll send this other uh, uh, messenger instead, an Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian was older, but he was experienced in relating terrible news. And so he starts running. But this other young man insists, no, 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 I'll go. And so now you have two runners. And the young man overruns the older man, and he's running because he wants to tell the king everything. And the king is out there in the tower, in the lookout tower. He's looking. I see two men. Yes, yes, yes. And by the way he runs, he looks like Aimas, the young man. When he reaches the gate, the first thing the king asks, how's the boy? How's my son? Tell me, how's my son? And this young man is so exhausted from running, he, he can't tell him anything. Move out of the way. The second runner is coming down. And there he is, the Ethiopian. He's coming down. And the first thing that comes out of David's mouth is, how's my son? How's my boy? Tell me, how's my boy? And how does he reply? This Ethiopian says, may the enemies of my Lord and King and all who rise up to harm you be like like that young man. The story says the King David couldn't, didn't want to hear anymore. And he begins to weep loudly. My son, my son, my son. How I wish I could have died instead of you. 
my son, and he throws dust up in the air, and he breaks, rips apart his clothing, and all of his soldiers are listening to him. What is this guy saying? We risked our lives. Some of our men lost their lives in the battlefield. And he is saying that he wished he could have died himself. Folks, how is your boy? How is your daughter? Did your boy run away from home? Did your daughter leave you to pursue her own goals? You haven't heard from her in months, years. Did your son bring shame upon you or your daughter? How is your son? You can only answer that. But this one thing I know, wherever your son, your daughter is, whatever their situation may be, however deep they have immersed themselves in whatever they do, God has not forgotten them. Do you understand that, folks? God has not forgotten about them. Why? Because they are precious to him. Sure, you saw your son born, be born and raised in the church. They went through all of the classrooms, Sabbath school classrooms. They went through the academy. They even went to last year college and graduated with a degree. But then afterwards, they just kind of lost it and they went a separate way. And do you think they will, they will ever come back? Yes. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. And then what? Fix it for me. Finish it for me. When they grow older, what? Yes, you've got to believe that. It is a promise coming straight out of the word of God. He has promised that what he has started, he will finish. And your kids got an excellent spiritual education right here. They will come back. Your tears are not in vain. You need to just simply remain faithful and loyal to God. Be obedient. Do what needs to be done. And now that you have grandkids, learn from your past mistakes and correct them. And if there's a young couple here starting a new family, and, and, and go, go back to the, to the scripture and read and avoid the pitfalls that David did. There's a time and place for everything. And even our kids sometimes need correction, parental correction from us. Oh, I praise my God for the wonderful blessings he has poured upon us all.